to the front door, but maybe a lot of time to the back door, just punch that door down. You're going through those rooms. You might see those rooms all at once. The basement, the attic, your room, your parents' bedroom. It all floods in. And you're in, it's almost a journey where you're not sure what room you're going to go into. But it's happening. I'm Greg Running, And I'm Rob Reford. And this is Mind Body Matters. Welcome to Mind Body Matters. This is the place where we talk about all matters of the mind and body. And here's Rob, my co-host and the voice of a thousand commercials. Maybe even just a bit more than a thousand. A thousand and one. Maybe. Maybe even more than that. But uh, yeah, I've done a few commercials in my day. How are you? I'm doing well. We've got a a really, really interesting guest today on this episode. Uh, His name is Dr. Mandeep Singh. I've come up with a name for him, okay? Okay. The psychedelic psychiatrist. Yeah, Yeah, that would fit because he, uh, well, he's prescribing medical marijuana, which some people consider, you know, kind of like a psychedelic. He is a psychedelic psychiatrist in the way that he's being trained to use psychedelic medication for for mental health. And very soon these medications are going to be uh, legal, Uh, MDMA probably next year, psilocybin, and ketamine is being used that's an anesthetic. It isn't necessarily a psychedelic, but that's being used as well for mental health. Okay. Just so I, I, I understand this, you mentioned, uh, uh, what was it, psilocybin? Yeah. Psilocybin or uh, magic mushrooms. I wanted to just clarify that. So that's what magic mushrooms are, is psilocybin. And, and he, as you mentioned, he's also working with others, uh, MDMA, and I guess the, the street name for these drugs are ecstasy or molly. Right, that's MDMA, uh, Molly, which I think you're on Molly right now, aren't you? Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, I am. Yeah, no, I I'm tell. just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Doing the research for this, uh, it's interesting how we got full circle because a lot of the drugs that are being used now that are considered to be new, they've been around for a long, long time. I mean, psilocybin, centuries. Uh, ayahuasca, centuries. Even like marijuana was illegal for so long and they're rediscovering all these properties in the plant that uh, we haven't had a chance really to take a look at while it was illegal. But now that it is uh, legal, uh, it's really changed the playing field, if you will. Absolutely. Uh, I found out that marijuana was made illegal in the States in 1937, and I got a clip of a movie trailer that I found called Reefer Madness, and I think a lot of people may have already seen the movie or or, or seen the, the trailer. But I'm going to play it for you because it really kind of emphasizes how they saw marijuana at the time. And then it was made illegal, actually, a, a year after. Okay. And you'll get a kick out of the movie trailer voice the guy has. Okay. <laughs> Smoking the soul-destroying reefer, they find a moment's pleasure, but at a terrible price. And the ultimate end of the marijuana addict. Hopeless insanity. See this important film now. Before it is too late. Before it is too late. Oh, hopeless insanity. Because we know that marijuana kills people and forces them to jump out of windows. And as you can hear, play a piano at double speed. I I, I love the guy's voice, by the way, the guy doing the actual trailer. But you're saying this clip is from around 1936? Yeah, 1936. So it's interesting because this was uh, was a movie... Uh, funded by the American government, actually. And then oh. a year later, the demon weed was uh, was made illegal. Wow. So this was actually government propaganda? 
I think so. Okay. I think so. It was a scare tactic. And I think that at the time, there was the viewpoint that we got to be watching out for our kids because this is a very, very dangerous drug. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I think the original title of it was uh, something like Tell Your Children or something. Oh, okay. Like that. Wow. But, I mean, that, that's, it's, it's, it's crazy now looking at it, but back then in the 30s, that's how they, they, they saw marijuana. And that's why it became uh, illegal and considered to be a narcotic. Because I think there was a narcotics task force at the time, and, and uh, the government made it, uh, made it illegal. Kind of a little bit of control there, right? Eh? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I never realized that the, uh, the government had so much control over this. Mm-hmm. So we're in an interesting time now that uh, we're looking at these these plants and these uh, medications that have been, like I said, around for centuries. Mm-hmm. And these medications have been used to treat a wide variety of issues. And I found out in my research as far back as 400 AD. Really? Same with psilocybin. Magic mushrooms, obviously, you know, it's a mushroom. Uh, it's been around for a long, 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 long time. Mm-hmm. Ketamine is a fairly recent uh, medication. It's actually an anesthetic, and there's research and clinical trials that show it can be used for depression and other mental health issues. And a, a lot of listeners would know about ecstasy and MDMA, and you know there were drugs of abuse. But again, uh, used the proper way. And I think this, I think this is what we're going to get at with uh, with our guest today. Exactly. I've got a million questions on how someone uh, takes the medication, and I understand that there's you know there's a therapist or guide involved. Anyway, to explain all this for us, Dr. Mandeep Singh is our guest today. He's certified with the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology, a member of the Integrative Psychiatry Institute. He has treated American and Canadian veterans for post-traumatic stress disorder. You know what that is? Well, PTSD, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, that, and that's a big thing, uh, you know, for people who have uh, who fought in, in, in uh, past wars. That's understood, uh, but... People can have traumatic experiences without being in the war. But considering that he's treated veterans and the military, I've got a few questions for him. I'd like to know a lot more about that. And so currently in his practice, he prescribes medical marijuana. And like I said, he's going to be, uh, he's going to be trained to provide these other medications. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Mandeep Singh. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I was talking to a therapist friend of mine a little while ago about cannabis and psychedelics, and he highly recommended you for the podcast. So it's great to have you here and that you put aside the time. Well, great to be here. Um, I always preface that, you know, I'm in this space, but I'm definitely not an expert yet. Uh, but uh, we, will, we won't put that pressure on you. Great, thanks. I don't know what he said, right? He might have upsolved me too much. (laughs) He and I started talking about psychedelics. I assumed that he knew about the use of medical marijuana and uh, ketamine. He goes, well, actually, you know, I don't know, but I know a guy that does. So he mentioned uh, uh, Dr. Singh. And do I refer to you as Dr. Singh or would you prefer uh, Mandeep? Mandy was fine. I, my, I'm trying to uh, incorporate Doctor S, but no, definitely, uh, you know, you know, Mandy is fine. I think Doctor S sounds pretty cool. <laughs> I'm playing around with it, and uh, and yeah, with the same thing with the psychedelics, cannabis. I've been doing for some time, also the integrative psychiatry. But uh, um, I think it's interesting. Maybe you know, I'm not an expert. I'm kind of going through it to a certain degree in a different way with all of us and all of society. So hopefully that comes off. Uh, as a uh, you know, part of experience as well and relatability. 
Well, it really is a fascinating topic. And when I was preparing for the episode, I wrote down some issues of the mind and body, because as you know, that's, that's what our podcast is about. Uh, some issues about the mind and body that could be treated by medical marijuana and psychedelics. And of course, some of these drugs are still in clinical trials, eh? and, and some are still illegal. But here's the list I came up with. Anxiety, treatment-resistant depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, addiction, migraines, end-of-life anxiety, obsessive-compulsive disorder, chronic pain, epilepsy, insomnia, MS, the symptoms of Alzheimer's and dementia, Parkinson's disease, and Crohn's disease. That's quite an impressive list. And that list does grow. So, you know, that's where the learning process is for, you know, the academics or medical doctors. Um, so I kind of live in both spaces and, uh, you know, situations like this or my website or other people who are really in the space. It's about educating that list a little bit and trimming it down in terms of what we know as much as we know. I mean, it's it's a impressive list, but it's extensive. And I think a lot of these, there isn't enough evidence yet to to show that, you know, it impacts the mind and body. Speaking about mind and body, what does uh, the mind-body connection mean to you? Yeah, so I think all of this, you know, right now, like six, five, five, six years ago, you know, cannabis was the new thing, um, you know, and now psychedelics. But I think it was an easy transition for me because I, from a very young age, for you know, various reasons, I, I, mean, I read a lot. I asked the question why a lot when I was in high school. And actually, the mind-body kind of incorporates this. So as I've been going along through the last 20 years or so, I don't want to date myself, but I found you know, pulling in you know these these other whether they're treatments or ideas or philosophies and um, but as I read more and connected more to the dots, I grew up around spirituality. Luckily, in my family, uh, although you know I'm Sikh and there was our strong religious beliefs behind it as well. And you know, medicine was a big thing in my family. The closest people to me, my dad, my uncle, were a cardiologist, doctor. So there's kind of melding of all these wor worlds. And uh, and the mind body kind of I found that there was a connection, and really spirit is what I incorporated into that as well. And like most things, people are coming around to now. It's really about connection and interconnectedness, and how one affects the other, and you know, vice versa. It's not a one way street. And kind of looking at a systems approach, not just for the individual but society. So it kind of just starts expanding that way, and. But it kind of starts with that concept of, you know, you know, how I feel on the outside affects how I feel on the inside, whether that's physical or or, or your mind, and uh, which also can affect your spirit and all the way around, you know, 360 as well. So if you're not taking care of one, it's probably affecting the other. Um, so the word connectedness has always been a theme for me, you know, and, and, and that's, you know, that kind of goes with the mind-body. Uh, the connection and kind of looking at things uh, as a system and as a whole and how they affect each other. No, I agree with the idea that we are a system. I, I do believe that there is not just a connection between mind and body, but it's, it's one and the same. It's very interdependent of each other. Another question I have is that there seems to be a trend recently for psychiatry as well as as physicians in general, looking at non-Western approaches to medicine. Like, why do you think that we're seeking that now? Generally, I feel like, you know, civilizations or society goes through kind of these swings 
Um, one of my concepts, just, you know, I'm, I'm building a concept myself that's called a 543 concept uh, that's applied to mental health, health well-being, but also just generally. And, and that concept is revisiting and finding out what works and what's the resolution from the past and how we can kind of review it and, and move forward. So, you know, I think part of it is that, um, that, you know, it's been around for a long, a long time, whether it's spices, herbs, biotechnicals, which I will work with in terms of inter integrative model approach. But then, you know, the psychedelics and cannabis have been around for a hundred or a thousand years. So it, it's always kind of been there. And the other pushing forces, you know, I can give the example Prozac in the eighties was the big thing, you know, it was on, top, in, in the, on the cover of time magazine. This is going to change everything because we're always looking for how to improve our health. But I think it's human nature to kind of look back then bring a newer version of it, you know, a renewed version, you know, that's what happens with the revisiting. And that happens because the new stuff maybe wasn't working as well as we thought. Mind Body Matters is brought to you by Audible and the hidden power of shadow work. Hi, listeners. I have something to share with you. I've read a lot of self-help books, but there's one book that I found really helpful for me personally. The Hidden Power of Shadow Work by Marcus Black. In the book, I found the part of ourselves that we'd rather forget is what's called your shadow self. I know it sounds ominous, but it isn't. By doing the shadow work exercises in this book, I learned how to understand and even embrace that part of myself. There's six activities and questions on how to discover, identify, and get to know your shadow self. If you're ready to master your shadow and start healing from within, then get the paperback or Kindle edition of The Hidden Power of Shadow Work by Marcus Black. Go to Amazon.com. By the way, I like the book so much I narrated the audiobook myself. True story. It's available on Audible from Google Play and the App Store. And now, back to our interview with Dr. Mandeep Singh on Mind Body Matters. Do you believe that we're at a point where there are people that, for example, have treatment-resistant depression and things like that, where we need to look outside the box and look at some approaches that were there many, many years ago, centuries ago. Do you feel that we're at, at that point with, uh, with current medication? Um, I don't think we're tapped out, which is actually, you know, interesting, you know, because the concept of revisiting is, well, you know, we don't always have to discover something new. Maybe it's actually about rediscovery. Really, the answer is in the incorporation of the past, the present, and still being able to look to the future. You know, we don't stop. We're always evolving. What is integrative psychiatry? It's really looking at the root causes of you know, what kind of ailments are, whether physical or mental. And again, looking at that interconnectedness. Um, so one, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of different definitions, but one way is that traditional psychiatry, kind of going back to that concept is we were looking at symptoms and how to treat the symptoms, you know, whether it's depression or, or anxiety or, you know, whatever the case be. And, you know, if, if you need to tone down the anxiety so you can go and do the things that require you to be able to engage in, you know, therapy, if you're too anxious to go and talk to a therapist, well, you're not going to get the benefit of the therapy. If you have social anxiety, but your your physical symptoms and your anxiety is so so heightened, you're not going to be able to start interacting with people. So that's where medications and treating the symptoms still have a role. 
inevitably the, the symptoms would come back because you didn't actually look at the root. So that root could be physiological, you know, so in integrated psychiatry, we also look at what are you putting into your body? You know, looking at, looking at the body and physiologically that way. And also again, connecting exercise, general health, um, you know, Eastern medicine comes into that as well, you know, in terms of biotechnicals or uh, natural supplements or, you know, you know, all that complementary medicine that can, can be as a benefit as well. And really the other concept is kind of the spiritual, you know, how does that interact with everything, you know, what, whether it's religion or what connection that do you have if, you know, or you believe in, whether it's to others, to a higher power, um so the kind of the general sense you know that's what it is and you know all of those things affect um your immune system it affects you know uh, and so we look at that it affects you know your other organ systems so that's how you kind of see it all kind of comes together that way and kind of looking at that broad approach it's not that i can do all of them i have a sense because of my training i specifically did in integrative you know psychiatry but at least i can recognize and say Hey, maybe let's try this if that's what you're interested in. Let's try acupuncture. Well, let's try, you know, something maybe, you know, maybe cannabis has a role and maybe when it comes to sleep specifically, instead of, you know, some of the traditional medications that, as you know, have um, dependency issues, right? So it's really having the meeting the client and having all those options and, and, and really looking at the root causes of. You know, trauma is another thing that comes up a lot. And when we're talking about the psychedelic space, that's that's a big thing as well. So that probably makes it a little bit different than, you know, traditional psychiatry and uh, traditional medicine. Tell me a bit about your psychiatric practice. You prescribe medical marijuana, right? So when I speak about my own practice, it kind of has that avenues of all the things I just, you know, kind of spoke about. But I, I am connected with one of the, you know, the better clinics that work with medical cannabis because about five, six years ago, that as we're kind of seeing with psychedelics, I, I started seeing a lot of that with cannabis as well and wanted to get involved to, to better um, educate my patients and ultimately prescribe it in a more responsible and, uh, you know, educated way, again, informed way. I'd like to talk about uh, your work with veterans. That's a big part of your, of the, your practice. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of came full circle. And again, this is what comes, you know, what I really enjoy about my kind of career and life's work, luckily it was intertwined with my work is, you know, psychedelics or cannabis or even, you know, complementary medicine. The stories I hear, it actually brought more connections in my life and brought back things in my life that uh, uh, maybe I've worked with or I found interesting 10, 15, 20 years ago. So with the veterans, I, I train in the U.S. In the U.S., uh, depending on where, you, where you're working, but and the kind of the logistics of it, you work with a big veteran population. It's just part of our training. Every week we had VA, uh, veteran patients in our, one of our clinics that we do every week. So I really got a sense of the culture, the uniqueness of each wars, you know, I've had, I have Vietnam vets, the first Iraq or the second Iraq or Afghanistan. So it was really something that made an impression on me. And uh, when I came, you know, back to Canada to really settle down and practice, uh, you know, if you're not involved with the VA directly, you know, you go into kind of the general population. For a number of years, I was working in, you know, big, big, the larger hospitals in, in the Toronto area. So we didn't get many veterans, and here veterans, it's a little bit different than how it is in the U.S. There's a lot more attention, there's more population there, kind of awareness about it. 
Um, so for a number of years, I didn't really see many first responders or veterans. And then the cannabis, me getting into that clinic, and one of the reasons I joined the clinic was they really were geared towards helping and advocating for you know the, the veterans. So that's six, seven years ago. That's how it became, you know, that kind of introduced into my life. So it was something that I, I knew, but I learned more about. Now, I, Canadians' military experiences are different, obviously, than the U.S. because of the nature of, you know, what they do, you know, what wars and, and so forth. So uh, really learning about them. And uh, five, six years ago, they did start realizing with PTSD, cannabis, you know, does have, you know, a very positive effect. And maybe I would see, and then I would say, one or two a week, you know, originally five, six years ago. Now I'm seeing that would be in a day, if not more, uh, because they've seen the benefit of it. And again, most of them have tried all these other, you know, they're either a combination of cannabis or, or medications or um, just cannabis alone. Um, so yeah, I, you know, that that's how it's kind of become a big part of it. And I, I go towards advocating as much as I can for certain things like that. How are these wars different? You mentioned that it depends on the war. So has there historically been changes in trauma and PTSD depending on the war and current wars? Uh, what's the difference? For example, the big contrast is when people came back from the Vietnam War, they were not, they weren't uh, embraced. No, if they it, weren't. You know, because of the nature of the war, what had happened. Um, so set aside Unfortunately, what those uh, soldiers saw and experienced in terms of PTSD wasn't fully recognized, obviously, then either in the treatments. But how they were reintroduced and accepted, which was really they weren't accepted, sayings where people would say stuff like they're almost spot on. Can't imagine that someone coming back from Afghanistan now or even the Iraq wars and that happening. So you could see the contrast, the resentments that, you know, which are based in truth for them. And then again, even with the first Iraq war, the second, that's when I think I was doing residency or something like that. So it, it's, it's, there's more similarity now. And there's, again, more awareness about, say, the first Iraq war. Again, the PTSD and decompression through therapy, really seeing how it's affected them wasn't really being assessed. And throughout the year, still, it's not anywhere where it should be in Canada or in the U.S., but it's definitely more so the acknowledgement and being kind of proactive about it is more apparent now. But then, yeah, in each war, there's a different, how the society kind of looks at it and how they embrace them back into reintegrating. So they all have little different experiences. Unfortunately, I was saying is I can fill in the blank now because I've heard so many of those stories. And uh, I think that's why I probably have a little bit of a, I guess, a soft spot for it because the fact that I can fill in the blank to a certain degree, it's all individual. And, and, and where cannabis and all these other things, I think where cannabis works Again, bringing it back into the kind of holistic approach is the big power for veterans, even before cannabis, is um, having family again. They they don't recognize their own family. They don't recognize their own society or society in some ways maybe wasn't reintegrating them appropriately. So a lot of them will say, I feel like I fit better where I was. I'd rather go back to Afghanistan. I'd rather go back to Iraq. And is that why people in the thinking, Vietnam oh. War, they, they had like multiple tours in Vietnam because they came back and they realized, I can't reintegrate. I'll go with what I know. Exactly. That's where they, that's kind of the thing to wrap your mind by, that they almost feel safe and they more kind of identity with that. Um, because the two things is that they've changed, 
obviously their experiences change them. And sometimes when you're away for so long, same thing happened with, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan, multiple tours is that what they come back to, it might've changed as well. The society, the culture, the, there might've been shifts. So the, it's a lot to take in. Um, so again, they found, you know, obviously they can't all go back, but they find solace within each other. That's their family now, their unit, or, you know, depending on what, what, you know, they're in the army, navy, you know, whatever they, you know, specialty, special forces, whatever they were. And I find cannabis and now might be psychedelics as well, but cannabis kind of, there's a culture around it. Even, you know, that's not something just unique to veterans. There's a cannabis culture. I think part of the power of that kind of medicine is the interaction and the support and the family kind of, you know, the family unit that's, you know, we don't have that much. The, you know, in society as we did maybe 30, 40 years ago, and especially in the East where there's that family kind of extended family support. So the culture of cannabis, the strains, them learning from each other, I feel like also is probably the power of how it's worked too. So again, always trying not to look at it in one kind of tunnel vision. You know, when you have this kind of broad approach, you're like, okay, not exactly how each component is, to what percentage is working, but the concept of it is, you know, bringing in all these other factors is the kind of the, the sum of all the parts is what's really working. I don't want to take up a lot of your time, but I'd love to kind of jump into talking about psilocybin or uh, magic mushrooms. And you mentioned your work with veterans. And I, what I understand so far is that it has a potential as a medication for, for PTSD. Can you tell us a bit about the history of how we got to where we are right now with psilocybin? Because it it was part of indigenous cultures for years. Yeah, and I think that's always important um, to look and recognize that. Uh, and uh, again, I've already touched upon it, like a lot of these Eastern medications, whether it's psilocybin and mushrooms kind of fit in that and really traces back to the in Native Americans or indigenous population. And, and again, going kind of back to how they used it is, was it a form of, you know, this kind of unit of spiritual um, community, you know, being connected with nature. It wasn't used in isolation again, right? Uh, so for hundreds of years, you know, that's what's what's been used. And, you know, we want to give acknowledgement definitely for that because, you know, one of the habits of Western culture is to grab something from somewhere else and just kind of, you know, forget where it came from. So part of it is recognizing right, specifically stuff, you know, like, you know, medicines like psilocybin, there's other ones, Zapata and ayahuasca and so forth, you know, give recognize where they came from, respect uh, for that. But, you know, I was having conversations with someone recently who was in the space, it's a psychedelic space, and it's again that concept of revisiting. It's actually interesting if that can be a conduit to history, to another culture. You know, to, and that's where psychedelics is about. It's not about I, it's about we and being connected. And how do you do that is, you know, you don't, you know, Canada, it's, you know, interesting. I have a, I grew up in a small town. I remember someone visiting from the U.S. and saying, let's go to a reserva reservation. And it was almost kind of like, let's go see these people, those people, they, you know, and you know, this, we were having this conversation. She's like, it's just interesting to learn about another culture. And it came through something like this. We can gain something not just from the medicine, but reconnecting with what what is indigenous? 
you know, we're having a lot of those conversations, obviously, with what's happening in the last couple of years in Canada, unfortunately, uncovering of things of our past um, and indiscretions. But that's that's a beauty part of it, is again, it's, it's a connectedness, and 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 so the, you know now again that was something that was in the seventies was discovered how it kind of can cause that interconnectedness, which is really connecting to ends up connecting to everyone else between people and individuals, but also nature, and kind of going back to that, and 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 and, and when it comes to I guess if, I don't know if you want to talk about broad, broadly psychedelics, but uh, you know, ketamine is not traditionally known as a psychedelic. It's it, it was an anesthetic first, and so they kind of separated a little bit because some of the properties it works a little bit different. But definitely, psilocybin has that ability to kind of connect, and again, trauma-related stuff, PTSD uh, or psychedelics. It's called kind of ego. We call it ego dissolution. You kind of you're not just the ego means I you're able to kind of go back in and connect with these these different parts. And then some of these parts, you know, involve trauma. It allows you to work with it in, in a place where obviously in the right setting with, you know, guide, not necessarily guidance, but, a, you know, a person who can help contain your own journey, is what we say. To be able to kind of tangibly start looking and observe that trauma and work with it and connect with it in a way where, if you didn't have that kind of catalyst through the, the psychedelic, it's so much too much to kind of delve into in a maybe an efficient way or in a, in a, a different approach it in a different way without kind of a, in something like a psychedelic. Mind Body Matters is brought to you by Pivot Design Group. Whether using an app, scrolling through a website, or looking at a logo, For many, design is a mystery. Who and how decided that something should work or look like that? Pivot Design Group takes the mystery out of design. Specializing in healthcare, Pivot uses a unique process called informed design. This insightful and data-based framework informs every design decision to create effective and sustainable experiences and services. To learn more, visit www.pivot.design. And now, back to the show. Not so much the I, but the we, you said. And doing, you know, the work for this episode, I found it quite curious that the recordings of the uh, the therapy that was done prior to the illegalized LSD, I think it was in 66. So prior to 66, there's recordings of people experiencing psychedelics like psilocybin in this case it's it's lsd and they describe a connection they describe that i am i am one and then i compared to videos i saw recently where people describe their experiences on psychedelics and they're saying the same thing they feel connected to the universe they feel as one can you expand on that? It's not so much the I, it's the we. Yeah, and, and that's that's kind of the power of it. You know, and there's different ways. It's They can be sometimes put on the umbrella of what they call mystical experiences, right? And they can happen in different settings. And, you know, I want to preface this. I'm not, there's so many people I, I'm learning from and I'm in the process of learning from. So I, I always want to be careful. I'm, I would by no means say an expert, but I'm really, you know, going through the journey myself in terms of learning about it. But yeah, so mystical experiences can happen where you get that kind of connectedness. 
from self. And it's, it goes into the we. And that could be some people have described similar things through near-death experiences. Some people have experienced it even, you know, in you know, particular instances religiously. Um, my kind of exposure to spirituality, I, I start trying to make parallels. I mean, to try to see how this fits in. Is it something kind of recognizable? And, uh, you know, the kind of description I have through where, what my exposure with spirituality and, you know, there's different ways of doing that in meditation, different ways of meditation. But the concept that stuck with me since I was very young was kind of to die while you're living. That's what meditation is, right? So what the meaning of that is, and that's what people say near death or how do you do that while you're alive is, is it a kind of generally kind of the concept of disconnecting from this body? What is what is kind of that one? Is it a consciousness for some people? Some people describe it as, is there a God? You know, whatever way you define it, I think that's what's loosening a little bit in terms of, you don't have to say it's a God or one entity, you know, explore it. It's a process, but it's having to disconnect from these senses, the worldly senses, right? Um, so that can happen in various ways, and psychedelics seem to be able to do that through just opening up that brain, and, and that's what ego dissolution is, kind of, you know, separating it from kind of going back to that mind-body thing, right? It's kind of are you separating in a way. So meditation of thousands and thousands of hours over years, you're you're in a weird way kind of disconnecting from these senses, the outside world. That's one form of meditation, and then connecting with the internal side of you, which I kind of actually describe as, it's funny, you kind of have to disconnect to connect to self or reconnect, really. I think it's always there, which actually ends up you connecting to the world and the universe. So disconnect, reconnect, connect, real true connectedness. Um, so that can happen through meditation and I think psychedelics. And again, I want to be careful. You know, again, I'm not an expert, but the way I've been, like, it's kind of like, meditation on steroids it's like really cutting through it so i i use a lot of analogies a lot of, i do sports psychiatry and sports so I, I use sports analogies but the other thing i use a lot is kind of the concept of a house and life life as a house right and i won't go too much in, into it but you know if if your house is kind of where you grew up and your psyche and your experiences and it's it's your body it's your mind whatever representation you want and, you know, each room has something, right? So if you spend most of your time in the living room, you probably don't see too much of what's happening in the kitchen and in the background. When the food comes out, you go to the dining room, you eat, um, you know, but you're around maybe your family. If you don't go outside too much of the porch, you don't see the world outside you, you might not be engaging. You're always just sitting inside. So you're isolating. Um, now, then you have your bedroom. That might be where you spend a lot of your time too, your internal memories, uh, how you grew up, um, you know, personal things that, you know, aren't for the living room, aren't for outside, definitely. And those are the spaces psychologically that, that, that you may be in. And then, you know, you know, your parents might be there or you, maybe you are the parent now and you're sharing a room with someone when you're a kid, maybe you heard things from your, your parents' room, you know, arguments, discussions, but it was separated from you a little bit. The other concept of the house is, you know, maybe the attic. We kind of tend to put things up in the attic that we probably still value memories. You know, again, this is an analogy to the, you know, or a metaphor in the case that, you know, we, we still value them. We're still conscious of them. Maybe we'll revisit them. Let's put the medals from when you were grade five, grade six, or books that you had or your 
your toys and go up and they're somewhat, somewhat safe. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, you walk around, you'll hear some creaking. So they're in the consciousness still. Like, yeah, I know the attic's getting full. Maybe it's covered getting in some dust. You know, one day I want to go revisit it. Then you have your basement. What tends to happen in the basement is it's kind of cold. It's kind of dark. Uh, we kind of put things there that maybe we forget about or we don't really realize. So these are kind of these compartments, right? And and in the basement is kind of, kind of maybe repressed. You don't want to know what's happening. But if it festers, mold kind of, you don't take care of it, you don't look at it, you don't empty it out, you know, things can grow and fester there. And, you know, suddenly it can go into the wood and, and, and into the, the floor. And one day, if it, you know, the floor rots enough, you might have a couple of creaks here and there. You might just fall right through without warning because you weren't really paying attention. Same thing with the attic, you know, but you hear some cracks and everything. But if you don't really revisit, clean out things, maybe you don't need or revisit some of those things, it gets full and the, the roof might come collapse on you. And then there's the kitchen. You know, if you're not really looking at where's all this food coming from This I'm, I'm living off, I'm going back and seeing the raw materials. The process. Oh, how are these things coming out? I'm seeing them as they are, but there's something behind it. What are the ingredients here? So you see, if you're isolated in one room or the other, or you're not going outside in the porch and engaging with people, you have the garage, you might have a car or a bike, but if you're not getting in and driving and engaging on the outside world, you can see where you fit in psychologically and the, the house is your body. Again, it's kind of the integrative approach. So, you know, if you're not looking, you know, the wiring could be your nervous system. The plumbing could be your GI tract, whatever way you want to kind of look at it. So a therapist or people come in, you know, people come and do the rewiring or you might get a person come redecorate or move around the furniture. There might be some renovation sometimes happen that kind of happen in parts and maybe take care of and maintain. If you don't maintain your body and mind might not be doing that well. Kind of happens in, in parts, and you kind of walk through the front door with these things. You know, therapy might be that. Well, you know, if you walk, you invite a therapist into the living room. Well, we should, maybe we should go into the attic. Maybe we should look at some of that stuff there. Maybe I, what's in the basement? And you kind of do it step by step. You might say, oh, I don't really want to. And you never open that door to the basement, or sometimes you come into the living room and you don't even spend much time there, and you go right back out and sit on the porch but you're too scared to really engage with other people. So you're just watching the world go by, but you're too scared to go inside. So there's still that sense of control. Going back to the psychedelics, I feel like the psychedelics kind of either through the front door, but maybe a lot of time through the back door, just punch that door down. It blows that door down. You're going in, you're going through those rooms. You might see those rooms all at once, the basement, the attic, your room, your parents' bedroom, it all floods in. And you're and it's almost a journey where you're not sure what room you're going to go into, but it's happening. And that's, I think, what the oneness happens. And then you start seeing everything, the house as a whole, you're seeing the stuff behind the walls. And the hope is when you start understanding and integrating it is that I don't live just in the living room. I don't live just on the porch or in my, or my own bedroom. And that's where the, the therapeutic part is a real power of psychedelics. It's a catalyst. But you need something to hold your hand while you're going through it. So I was going to ask that because mm -hmm. I saw a lot of videos and uh, the documentary Dosed. The therapeutic use of psilocybin magic mushrooms, it seems that the guided therapy that goes with it is to bring the person into exactly what you're talking about. Your analogy is perfect. 
but it seems to be that it's a trip that's induced where years ago, people using uh, psychedelics, LSD mushrooms in the past, once they have a trip and it's like, Oh, that's a, they had a bad trip. But what I understand is that the idea with guided uh, therapy with, with psychedelics is to bring the person into looking at themselves as self and their, their connection with the world. But it sounds like the whole idea is to get them into a psychedelic trip. Is that, is that right? Am I seeing that right? Yeah, kind of. And that, what we call it a trip or that ego dissolution or there's sometimes with ketamine, it's you know, disassociation. Well, it can be scary for them, people. So then, you know, hence yeah. the bad trip. Right. Yeah. So the, like I said, if all of a sudden the attic and the basement and your bedroom and your parents' bedroom are all opened all of a sudden, that's what it's doing. Right. And it could be one or the other. It could be a couple of those. So it, 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 that's what it does is introduces because it kind of takes a little bit of the control out, uh, out of your hands. So you, you do have to kind of face it. And then the reason when you do it recreationally, two things is in, in what we call integration work. Um, that happens after it is because you can bang, you can burst, you can burst into the living room, burst into the bag of door, and 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 you know kind of run through all the rooms of the house, and all of a sudden get flooded with all of this. But you know if you don't have kind of what he said the preparatory stage, where it's it's called the set and setting, and this is when people have a takeaway like oh I want to do this uh, you know ketamine or psilocybin. Well, I mean it's illegal psilocybin and MDMA. There's research on it, but when you're looking at these, that's the most important part is, you know, when you do recreationally, you just pop something and there was no intention. So the set and setting before, it could be hours of certain type of sessions about what are you looking for when we go into this space that could be maybe scary, it could be eye-opening, it's different for everyone, but it's definitely going to be, you know, things that maybe you haven't really faced fully. Maybe you have a hunch or maybe not at all. Maybe you've never looked at that placement or the attic. So when you have that intention, then that trip is also going to maybe in some ways be affected. You're at least preparing. Now, again, sometimes those they go where you don't expect, as is life. You can plan as, as much as you want, but you know, sometimes things get, you know, you get a curveball thrown at you. But at least the general setting and well, if a curveball is thrown at you in this session during this trip, how do you still feel connected? You know you're feeling safe. And that's what the therapeutic role is before and during is that we don't make, you know, interpretations as maybe a Freudian psychoanalysis or psychodynamic. We're not kind of trying to um, push them a different way. And that's a skill. You know, in psychoanalysis, we have a little bit of that. But even for me, this is a new, I'm learning the therapy as well, is that you really have to be not suggestible. You have to kind of be, you have a container, it's safe. I'm here with you on your journey. Let's see where it goes. You know, for me, it's building on a skill set of getting out of the way because that's what psychodynamic and psychoanalysis is as, a, as opposed to like cognitive people who are cognitive behavioral therapy. It's really like the therapist talks 50% of the time, the client does as well and tangible like homework, you know, it's like a course. So this is far removed from that. So that's where then you can actually delve into those. When you have that trip, when you feel safe and maybe there was some attention or maybe not, you can actually, what they call it, can work those edges. You know, you can, you can push trying to figure out what is there that I'm, maybe there's buried there in the basement or maybe I have to revisit. 
So you, you know, and it goes over sessions, and that's just one session, right? So different ketamine and the you know, different psychedelics. There's different lengths of time that can stay, right? And then afterwards is where the integration really comes in. Now you've kind of opened the door. You've opened these doors, these rooms. Now you want to start incorporating them into your life. Um, maybe there's doors you never open. These are, these, you know, we call it kind of parts of yourself that maybe were, you know, subconsciously affecting you. You just weren't really accessing them. Well, how do you come one again with them? So the real good work is in your everyday life or in the therapy. Now that door has been opened, how do we process? Because you, you continue growing. So it's kind of like you've put the fertilizer, you've kind of planted the, the, the plant or the garden. You don't just don't leave it then. You have to maintain it. You have to give it the water. You have to give it the sunshine. You have to give it the love. And that's what part of integration is as well. The oneness, the, the love. Love for the universe, love for yourself, that experience, mystical experience you might have had. Well, how, do, how does that now work with you in your, in your life? Um, so that's where it's important that those therapy sessions afterwards, when you've stopped taking you know, the sessions of the, the psychedelic or ketamine, um, that's where it really lasts. Because right now it's, yeah, you get maybe a, a good bump. You know, it's a depression or whatever the case you're using, you see a big difference. But the way it actually lasts longer and doesn't go away after you know, a couple of months or six months or whatever, is that if you're continuing, continuing to do that work, all the stuff that's in this, you know, the integrative model, all those things come into play there. So that's why it fits for me. Because it's like, yeah, it's not some, it's another part that can help actually do all the things we want to live a fulfilling life. It's another part. It's another um, path that you can use with your patients. Uh, where are you at right now? Where are we legally with psilocybin? I, I think I heard that in the States that it's uh, legalized for treatment resistant depression, but it's illegal and, you know, for use in other areas. But tell us a bit about where that's at and where you're at in your practice and, and incorporating it. Yeah, so it depends on, you know, again, jurisdiction, right? So it's illegal in Canada, the psilocybin, MDMA, you know, all of those things. Uh, in the States, you know, things are always changing state to state. And what conditions are they, you know, legalized for, right? And the reason ketamine has been kind of the first one that's been approved, whether it's in the States or in Canada, is that it already existed as an anesthetic, what we call a DIN number, like it has identification as a, as a medication. So that's why it came out as a first one to use. Uh, so if, you know, I'm looking to the next couple of months of being, I've been approached already, but if I'm going to do that model, it's going to be what I kind of described. I'm actually bringing a new concept, newer concept of integration, whether I'm doing it, most likely I would be connected with a therapist so I have even more experience, you know, definitely that would do those parts. And then also bringing my own model, just general integrative psychiatry or medicine. And part of the reason is I'm not rushing into it because I want it done right, but also um, the right model. Uh, because the other part of this is accessibility. Uh, unfortunately, it's expensive. So, you know, with a lot of things, sometimes the patients or the clients that need it the most can't get access to it. Um, so again, if that trends that there's a concept there as well. So I want to make a model that is, is there some equity to it? in some degree. Psilocybin and, and uh, MDMA, 
you know, you might have, you know, people who are in the space have heard of Rick Doblin. He's done such great work in psychedelics. He kind of started, you know, the, the world kind of in the world, the big, you know, it's called MAPS, you know, Association Multidisciplinary um, Association for Psychedelic Studies. And, you know, he really went through the system, which I appreciate because I, I find I've done an administrative degree. So a lot of things I do in health, I, I figured out, well, I can't beat them. I'm going to join them, right? So he's he used that MDMA. He found that this was going to work for PTSD. And, you know, it's in what we call phase three with the FDA, at least. So that's that's usually getting close to it, you know, the kind of the last stages of it being, you know, um, what do you call it? Um, being uh, legally being used for a particular uh, um conditions and again probably ptsd and so forth so that might be a you know you can be involved in that as a client if um you know you're involved in a study so whether it's maps some universities do it depending where country you're on and where you are you know in terms of canada and so forth so you have access to it through research methods and a lot of times those kind of i don't think maps is happening in any openings right now i might be wrong um, so then that's where that is maybe a year from now, the hope is that it, it, it'll be something again, where it's kind of being used like ketamine now making the parallels of cannabis. I don't think these are things are going to be like cannabis, you know, psilocybin and DMA, where there's kind of these two routes, you know, you can just go at a storefront. And I think it's generally going to be stepwise fashion of what conditions it works with. So right now in Canada, psilocybin is the other one, you know, end of life. That's a big thing that's coming up. We're talking about made. Uh, you know, assisted suicide, you know, medically assisted suicide. And why isn't this used more as an option as instead of people feel, feeling like there's no other route to go except to end their life? Um, so there's research around that, but also again with PTSD and so forth. And it's again on the umbrella of studies. Now, psilocybin um, does have a call, which I'm getting involved with, in. it's called a special access program. So, you know, you, you kind of do a, a big, long application process. And that's the thing with control, bureaucracy, politics we've talked about. Even though technically you may be able to, you have this avenue of getting, you know, psilocybin, say, for, you know, you're, you know, you, you have, you know, bad prognosis in terms of, say, cancer. That's one of the bigger things as well, you know, terminal. The paperwork and the bureaucracy around it makes it very hard. So there's a lot of applications out there. But not many are getting, you know, uh, proved. So psilocybin is still illegal, right? Cannabis is not illegal. Ketamine per se is, you know, it's not illegal because it is still, you know, medication. Now it has to be used under the right, um, you know, monitoring, right? Whether it's, you know, a psychiatrist or so forth. But psilocybin, it's not there. It's a special access program. Um, so the psilocybin and MDMA, they're going to be working more kind of in that parallel stepwise fashion for different things. Uh, treatment versus depression, psilocybin with the the kind of, um, you know, terminal cancel end of life kind of situations, because it does open the big power of that. Again, it's like connecting this to oneness. People find they actually acceptance of life and death. Acceptance of death means they do live life more, more fully, right? So, um, and it's also happened again, that might be a year and a half, two years, you know, again, but in a stepwise fashion. Um, so ketamine is something that I, I could start, you know, in a couple of months, but that's your, right? that's your next, uh, go. Yeah. That's uh, because it's legal and there's different ways of doing that. I'm exploring the different models. I'm working again, 
part of this space is you can't do it alone, just like life. <laughs> you need all these other experts, people are already in the space. So I'm kind of going through that and connecting. And then the hope is psilocybin and uh, MDMA, when it is kind of really starting to get into that legalizer, at least being, you know, approved a little bit, you know, more readily in terms of psilocybin, I'll be ready to go probably in you know, a year and a half, two years. I do see myself uh, that being part of, you know, generally everything, you know, the integrative model that I have just generally for well-being. You mentioned that psychedelics, I'm not quite sure if it's ketamine or um, psilocybin that's used for end of life, but can you share a little bit more information about how it's used for people that maybe have a, a, a terminal uh, cancer diagnosis? The brief difference, psilocybin really seems, for a couple of reasons, it works a little bit different, psilocybin and say MDMA, and they have a little bit different properties, but they work on serotonin, that kind of a feel-good kind of thing, and there's also sometimes dopamine involved with MDMA, I won't go too many of the trenches in there. And MDMA, you know, known as ecstasy, that the little nuance different there is that there's sometimes more what they call connectedness to other people, kind of, you know, that's why, you know, people feel closer or they can feel as one with people, you know, kind of empathetic. There's more empathy there. And that might be, you know, oxytocin, kind of the love, another kind of uh, uh, hormone that's kind of connection to do with connection uh, with other people. But those work on, on serotonin and opening up these different pathways. And MDMA and psilocybin and practicality when you're doing it, the trip, as they say it, or when you're going through the, you know, it's, as some people know with mushrooms, um, you're, you're talking about four, five, six hours. And that therapy is sitting there. So now there's the practicality of it, but the journey is longer. And, you know, a lot of the time it's two therapists sitting with a person during this period of time. And the research models, obviously, that we're talking about um, for five, six hours. So how is that going to really work? But you're going into kind of a deeper level in terms of the more time to explore. And, and, and that those connections, it's kind of described, say, like when they do imaging for like, uh, you know, the brain when it's under, you know, psychedelics like psilocybin and so forth. Um, it's like the different hubs of the brain where there's their connectors, like you have to go to one place and then it connects to another. These kind of open it up and all of a sudden different parts of the brain are connecting with each other directly. So that's where the oneness and the connection onto the universe kind of gives you this perspective of, well, this is just a process. You know, that's why death isn't really a beginning or an end. It's, you know, you're kind of all connecting this bigger, bigger thing. So that acceptance comes because it's not a definitive. You feel how interconnected you are to the universe because of the interconnect of your brain, the neurology, uh, neurology behind it, the, the, the connections. And, uh, um, and what inevitably happens is that if you're not fearful of death and you come to that acceptance, you appreciate your living, your day-to-day, -day, your present life. So that's how, so whether it's a year, two years, or three years, what do you have? You know, left with these kind of unfortunate, uh, you know, diagnoses, you're living it to the fullest. When you're when you're connected to the world or the universe or people, it gives perspective of what death is it's in itself. With the time that we have, share what your expectations are with, as I said, your next go-to will be uh, the use of ketamine. How do you see applying it in your practice and for what issues? Yeah, so for, for ketamine, again, we're going back to the veteran population. Definitely, like, I think PTSD is the first place I really want to start working with it. And 
and and I'm looking to work with um, you know veterans and different organizations that are supporting that. And you know they they might eventually go into psilocybin as well, but obviously ketamine is, is the way here. And part of the reason is um, you know kind of most of veterans have gone through that process or they're in it in terms of um, what we call like include the criteria for you to be able to start doing you know ketamine obviously is in first line. So it's already built in where they're probably doing therapy. They're doing some of the other things around just, you know, lifestyle and they have that in place and they've tried medications. They're on medications and it's, you know, or even cannabis, right? This is not something that takes the place of cannabis, but they're still kind of limited. So this might be the next kind of step resolution really, you know, that's what psychedelics and ketamine do is really to face the root of those traumas or whatever it may, may be that's kind of buried there. Um, and then there's treatment resistant depression, whether it's with you know veterans, but that's that's the main one for the main population. They've tried a lot of medications, they've done a lot of therapies. Treatment resistant depression again, there's quotations that mark that, that how it's defined. You know, some people might say it's you know multiple medications and antipsychotics, and sometimes it's like do you have to go through the gamut and suffer through years or trials, or can we maybe get there quicker? So obviously that's a different conversation, um, but. Yeah, so if you know, treatment resistant depression would be uh, the kind of the other thing when it comes to getting. Now, there's it looks like there is hope in terms of again going back to addictions. We didn't, we didn't talk about that too much, but there, it looks like there's some avenues there that I, I think would be helpful. You know, that's some anxiety. I find that uh, surprising and kind of confusing. Um, being a, an addiction therapist, you know, very often these all these drugs were drugs of abuse at one time, and still still are, but. I find it kind of fascinating that uh, something that people were abusing now is considered to be a treatment for people abusing drugs. Maybe you can clarify that for me because I find that really confusing. Yeah. yeah and it's kind of what we ever talked about it. it you know, and it is interesting is because again, I think with anything um, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's funny when people came into the Canada, the, a lot of the adage I used to say, even though I knew a little bit of the background is people would come like, I want to use cannabis in something natural. I don't want to do the other treatments. And my kind of, you know, I use a lot of humor, you know, it's rare that, you know, unless obviously the nature of the session, but, you know, I joke around and say, well, you know, substances are substances, drugs are drugs, anything can be abused or not, right? And I'm like, um, you, know, you know, mushrooms are natural and are popping those. Now I kind of have to, you know, retract that. I'm biting my tongue, my egg on my face a little bit. But the, the point of that analogy is, is that, Anything can be abused. So that's where the guidance of it in terms of doing it, you know, responsibly educating my, you know, my website is really about, about that is having conversations with professionals, patients, experiences, even, you know, people in the public, that's, you know, getting responsible information because, you know, caffeine is a drug and it's abused. Alcohol is a drug and it's abused. So how do, how do you use that responsibly? And then the, the thing with the, the, the addictions part and the reason the ketamine works in that setting, obviously you do the screening, there's certain things, you know, obviously there's a substance use history. We want to look into it in your, whether it's alcohol or other things, definitely if it's that substance, if you were abusing, you know, ketamine, you know, but two things happen is the same thing with happened with cannabis is that if people are coming to this point to get treatment for it, um, and if it's still really, it's for kind of taking advantage of it, they won't come to a clinic. So it almost self-screens. Because people are using cannabis in the wrong way uh, in terms of, and I say wrong, meaning 
Are they not doing the other things? Are they masking? They're self-medicating, or they want to continue just use it recreational, which is fine. I'm not saying there's anything against that. But why are they going to go through the process of coming and seeing a doctor, going through all that? So it kind of self-selects the people who do generally come. They really don't want to use. Now there's still a susceptibility. Obviously, a lot of people who are addiction have addictions. They do not want to use, right? But it, there is some self-selection. They're kind of the motivation is kind of built in there. And the other difference in when you use psychedelics or ketamine um, in terms of addiction is again going back to that therapy, the the actual therapy part is, as you know, a lot of addiction is about trauma, right? And how do you access trauma? Now you can access trauma through obviously therapy, different way, different types of therapy, trauma therapy. Uh, you know, there's a lot of modalities that have been used, but this is where the power is that. You can now take that trauma and it's a little bit of kind of work with it in that space. It's something that because there's a little funny, you, you give a little space with the trauma so you can look at it as opposed to it overtaking you in therapy or you can't touch it because if you touch it, it triggers something, right? Um, so that's the difference there is that you're actually working for the root cause of the addiction. You're getting to the meat of it. And if you do, then whether it's whatever addiction it is, there's less chance of you going back to it because you've actually gone through through that. Um, so trauma, that's another thing, you know, maybe a takeaway is really close is that looking at these things responsibly, responsibility, getting information, trust, the research, the right avenues, these kind of big words, balance. Um, and, and again, you know, looking at, you know, the indig indigenous, where it came from, you're going to learn how it's different, whatever it is. This is why it works, because we're actually taking from the past and just we're reworking it, another reword, you know, reevaluating, reworking it and, and, and getting the best of everything. And, uh, um, you know, I think that that's where the real power of um, using psychedelics in that realm is, is that you're, you're getting to the root. So, you know, trauma is another theme that comes through it. You'll notice that once you get in that space and it doesn't have to be huge trauma. Some people use these uh, avenues because they think there is something there that maybe didn't even know and it's affecting them and manifesting them physical ways, you know, or depression or different ways. And they just didn't realize where it's coming from. For people listening, perhaps are thinking, hey, this is really, really great news about these drugs. I can access these drugs on my own. What would you tell people that are interested in using the drugs on their own, like ketamine and psilocybin and, and, and doing it at home as opposed to waiting until it's legalized, waiting for it to be a, a therapeutic uh, procedure. Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's the, that's the dicey, difficult tension right now, actually. Right. And it, it, you know, it's a smaller way it happened with cannabis. It's, I mean, cannabis, I, I use it as a parallel in a lot of ways, but it's kind of apples and oranges as well. But when cannabis became legalized, it was always around and there was a culture around it, a grassroots culture, people who really worked it in more of the traditional sense of using it, whether it's recreationally or you know, medicinally. And then the, you know, the other players or actors came into it and you know, kind of changed it and changed the access of it. You know, a lot of the people who've done it, they said, well, why does there have to be a gatekeeper, right? The government or why does it have to be a doctor saying, why does it have to be a psychiatrist to do that, right? So I understand that part of it as well. But um, so it's really taking the best of both worlds because that does enable us to do research and be informative and education, which goes both ways. I 
do want to know the experiences of people and what I don't know. And that doesn't have to be always through the academic or traditional ways. So you, my ear is always open to it. But when you want to access it, you know, because it is the safest method. And the same thing with cannabis in some regard, I, you know, people say, why well, go to a registered licensed producer? Is that, you know, you know that there is some regulation, whether it's how it's grown, what you see on the label is what's actually inside consistency, um, use of pesticides, stuff, even small things people don't realize about that. So the same thing happens even more so with psychedelics is that, are, you know, where's these, these well, obviously probably people are doing them, but I talk about for psilocybin and the other ones, they're illegal. We'll be honest about that. So it is not, about, you know, when patients, someone might say something about their experience with it, but to access it um, really right now, it is limited to, so I would encourage like going on, you know, when you go to websites like MAPS, um, uh, Numinous, um, Theracell is the com uh, company that, um, you know, works with end of life and advocating through it. You'll see when you when you go on these and there's usually, you know, some academic involved. It doesn't have to be all about academics or doctors, but um, there's a mix. But, you know, it's they kind of branch out and it's actually a small community. So you'll kind of see where the safe information is when there's some relation with uh, some kind of scientific background. So, they, you know, there's a safety there. Um, ketamine obviously is, um, you know, you just you do you know google academy therapy or and you'll see a couple you know clinics come up I, i'm you know I, i'm careful not to endorse anything unless i'm really know about it i do that with medication general medications as well or you know even cannabis i don't endorse a company or anything like that and then with ketamine again you're looking at being educated okay i now i've maybe heard dr s so i've heard when i look this integration thing is that really important or is it you know the clinic yeah we'll do a, one or two sessions and then maybe a couple of sessions after and doing it, the setting settings on there, you come and do it with an anesthesiologist. Maybe the psychiatrist is not sitting there or there's not a therapist. Well, it seems like it might be a little bit of kind of to each other own, but it's not going to be the picture that I'm kind of talking about. But yeah, for all intents and purposes, psilocybin and all the others, it's really through, you know, you're connected through some research or a trial. Now with that caveat, the, the integrative uh, integration work, can be done regardless that, you know, if someone's the patient's talking to me and I said, you know, these things are illegal. These are your access points for now, but how about let's get you connected with someone who does this type of therapy. So that therapy is, so that's what the power at least now is. Um, obviously people want the process to move faster. And I, I'd probably advocate for certain things like, you know, end of death, we'd already talk about psilocybin or PTSD. But that therapy is still available. And it's not just, it's just called integrative work. There's what we call IFS, internal family systems therapy. That's kind of incorporated with psychedelics. So people Google that. You'll see some, you know, with my patients, sometimes I'm seeing them now just to, yeah, let, let's touch base again in a couple of months. See how you're doing generally with what, what treatments we're doing now, whether it's, you know, acupuncture or you're seeing a naturopath or, you know, my medication, you know, but also let's I'll up to date. I'll, I'll give you an update on where things are at. So staying engaged. So I, I guess that's the big thing that you can still engage in the space within what the legal confines are. So currently medical marijuana is legal. I understand that ketamine is legal in the States and Canada for specific use. If people are interested in those therapies, what 
do you recommend as a first step for them to find out more information and, and how to get therapy that is guided with these drugs? Yeah. So those are, I mean, if you're just doing pure, you know, Googling or something like that, you know, the integration work, uh, IFS therapy with ketamine, um, treatment, right. And you'll see, there's not that many clinics, you know, around the Toronto area, but whether in Canada, but if they're connected to, obviously one thing is if you have a psychiatrist, you know, first of all, you know, to have that conversation with them and depending, you know, the same thing was with the cannabis and I still get people, it's changed now six years ago. I used to do talks with doctors and psychiatrists, particularly, and they, they might at least say now for cannabis, I'm not really sure about it, but you know, maybe we can go here, you know, so they send them to me or someone else they know. So now psychedelics can be the same thing as that. See first with your psychiatrist, because these are, you know, most likely these PTSD and, and treatment resistant depression, you've probably been connected with a psychiatrist because if you've tried other things, correct? So having that conversation, if they don't know, then again, getting connected with, you know, again, maps, I always just say it's kind of a standard. Um, they kind of, you'll see on these websites, uh, you know, that they're connected with like, you know, is there a, you know, kind of, you know, some kind of society that's connected with the doctors? You look at the, you know, you go on the site, you look at who's in the, on the team. Is there a doctor or psychiatrist involved on the team? Um, you know, how long have they been around? So again, it's a kind of a gray space still, right? But um, those are the things you kind of look for. Like, so for me, the hope is my, you know, my website, uh, ca. It's, it's kind of infancy. I'm kind of treading softly with this stuff because I don't want to get bombarded. I have the general practice that I'm doing as well. But sites like that where you can see that it's, um, you know, there's information there. There's maybe, you know, avenues I know I'll end up putting resources that I, I find that are, you know, reputable or at least look at both sides. And I, I generally say with anything, whether you're doing any kind of complementary or treatment, is that the two extremes is if, if it sounds like people are promising too much, this is it. Two things. This is it, and don't do that. So do this therapy, you know, just only do supplements and diet. I don't care for traditional medication. Or vice versa. I We do medication, and I know this kind of therapy, I don't really believe in the other stuff too much. Or it doesn't have to be that harsh. Like, I don't think that much about it. If you're, if you're somewhere there, then you're... You, you you know, if you promise too much and you walk away from interaction with someone who's doing psychedelics or ketamine, uh, psychedelic therapy, not psychedelics because they're illegal, um, and you walk away feeling, oh, this is it. They've sold me on it. I'd be suspicious. If it's the other way around and you've questioned it and they're saying there's no role really, there's no research, we only do it by the book, and you feel kind of hopeless from it or like this is not an option, then you're probably not in the greatest place. But if you walk away with some information and got to think about it, like maybe there is something there. Let me sit on it. It's made me think this might be an option. Sometimes, we, you know, thinking is good and <laughs> not a quick fix. So I think when you're sitting in that place where you walk away and you're considering it, it makes you want to learn more and you feel like you have an avenue to do that, then you're going in the right direction. Sound advice. So, um, the resources that are available, there's your website, uh, you said MAPS, uh, correct? MAPS is a good place to start, yeah. Uh, any other resources that I could put in the uh, episode description that you want to share that could be uh, helpful? 
I mean, I don't know if Cam H is doing it, but you know, these big organizations, there's always, there's always good. They're, they'll have, they have to speak to it. So on their websites, they'll have who they're connected to as well. Um, Theracell is another one that I said specifically for end of life, the psilocybin. That's a special access program that I'm getting familiar with. And I think they, they're doing good with and advocating, but um, you know, those numinous is another one. And there's probably a couple that I'm missing and maybe we'll add as we go along, you know, just, you know, when you actually see the description. Uh, and the reason, again, I'm careful to what to endorse, but the other reason I'm, you know, I wouldn't say, I, you know, again, it depends where you are, if you're in the U.S. or Canada, where you're listening, but the concepts around it of what they're connected to is important. You know, is there some kind of, you know, doctors there? And the other part is, you know, when you connect to one of these, you'll notice they have partnerships. So it won't be hard. You'll start noticing, oh, then they're, they're affiliated or they work with this, you know. So you'll see where people are interconnected. If you're just seeing something very isolated in a box somewhere else or it's, you know, not like that, then you you, you would kind of be wary about it. But you'll, you'll start seeing these same names, players kind of pop up. But those are kind of the big ones that will help you go down those avenues. We certainly are hearing a lot about these medications in the news, and uh, there's a lot of talk about it. I really appreciate that you came on the podcast to give us some details and some professional uh, information about where they're at. i like to have you come back and talk about uh, psilocybin and MDMA once we get closer to legality and uh, therapeutic use. Would you be up for that? Yeah, definitely. And and again, I... I'm not readily leaning one way or the other, but I, I feel like, you know, those are the, you know, for a lot of, we'll discuss why I think really psilocybin and MDMA, but how uh, they're different than ketamine and really uh, have a lot of potential. What I've seen so far are very, very promising, and we are in a very, very exciting time. Well, again, thank you so much for being here, Dr. S. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And again, you yeah, have to put yeah. that on your website now. Uh, you know, again, I'm not great with technology, so it's, it you know depends how it pops up. But the, the clinic, the the sense of the clinic to maybe end with just kind of tying it all up is, it's uh, be well and do good. And there's a lot of be well stuff, and that's all the stuff we kind of talked about. But the reason I pick do good is, it's an action oriented. It's you reaching out um, to people and connecting, and uh, and that's kind of my whole concept where all the everything we've discussed kind of can. Uh, be worked into so thank you again i really appreciate it look forward to the next conversation i'm sure be i'm looking forward to that so dr mandeep singh thanks very much for uh for joining us in the studio today and uh we'll talk to you soon thanks right take care yeah as i mentioned before a really really interesting interview don't you think oh for sure like uh, i'm going wow and and what a story, like what a personal story uh, Dr. Singh has, too. Uh, that's what really interested me, just listening to him. He comes from, a, let's call it a medical family. His, um, his father and his uncle were both doctors. And as he said, you know, he, he wanted, that's why he's into psychiatry. He didn't want to do what his, his father or his uncle, I think his uncle was a cardiologist and I think his dad was um, uh, a general practitioner, if you will. Um, my takeaway is that well, I, I learned a lot uh, about these medications, but what, what struck me is that he's done all this work with uh, the military. 
right? So with, with veterans, with like, veterans, yeah, from, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, American veterans and Canadian veterans. And this was before he was looking into using even medical marijuana. He wasn't thinking about using ketamine and all these other uh, other drugs that are are current now. He saw the, there was a need for people coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq. And, and during that time, he was actually in training in the States and, and treated a lot of, uh, a lot of veterans. So I was quite impressed with that, that, um, you know, he was treating them many years ago. And now that he's going into this new field of using uh, psilocybin and, and ketamine, that he's seeing that this could be very beneficial for, for veterans and, and many people. Another thing I noticed, too, uh, through the interview, he kept on uh, talking about revisiting things, always uh, going back. And and keep in mind, as, as he pointed out, uh, you know, God, he put this stuff on Earth, you know. Uh, <laughs> but as yes. he put this stuff on Earth, but we weren't supposed to abuse it. Yeah. And some people have abused these drugs, but he's using it more for bringing out stories that probably wouldn't come out if it weren't for these drugs that he's sort of, you know, he's put people into a, into a trip, if you will. Yeah, it's, it's a trip. But as he was explaining, it's, uh, it ties in with the mind and body. You know, you're releasing this mind, which is, you know, the ego. And I think he call, he's called it ego dissolution or uh, dissolving the, the ego. Mm-hmm. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff, but it works. That's the thing is that, you know, like I mentioned, I, I saw this uh, documentary that uh, Dr. Sanjay Gupta had on CNN and I go, wow. Well, and I also noticed too, you were, when you were talking to the doctor too, you know, at one point, <laughs> I never realized this, but uh, you were really against, like you being a therapist, you were really against the use of even cannabis, but then your mind changed. Yeah, Exactly. The way I was trained is that uh, very often people that are addicted to alcohol or, or, or you know, other drugs of abuse also use ketamine and uh, uh, magic mushrooms. And this is kind of part of what I understood is part of the uh, uh, culture of, uh, of abusing drugs and getting high. And then when uh, cannabis was, was legalized, I thought we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Because my main concern was was mental health issues, and I, I'm sure that's happening. As he said, you know, marijuana isn't uh, suitable for someone that has uh, a mental illness. But what really um, impressed me was that documentary where these kids with epilepsy are given part of marijuana, right? As he said, there's a difference between THC and CBD. Given that, yeah, and it works. They get better. So that turned me around. I didn't realize this either, but uh, you could develop problems with the brain after continued seizures. And uh, and I didn't realize that. But if this is going to help with their seizures, then it's a good thing. It, it's going it, to, it's, it works for a lot of things. At the very beginning, I went through that long list. It, it's, it's, yeah. it's incredible. So it really is an exciting time. And we're going to have uh, Dr. Singh come back once we get a little bit closer to what's going on with MDMA and, uh, mm-hmm. and psilocybin. But like I said, what I understand is that as early as next year, 2024, people might be given Molly for mental health. Who would have thunk? Who would have thunk? <laughs> Dr. Mandeep Singh's done a lot of great work. And uh, as you said, uh, I look forward to having him on again on the show down the road. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. Well, uh, wrapping up here, uh, thanks to our listeners who are 
Patreon backers. It's a great way to support the Mind Body Matters podcast. Where do people go? There's a link that I'll I'll put in the, the, the description, but I do believe that it's patreon.com backslash mindbodymatters, and Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. A couple bucks a month, right. you'll get our episodes a couple days before, and uh, maybe down the road some, uh, some other uh, bonuses, like maybe, you know, maybe a, a t-shirt. When you go to our, um, our, our webpage, which is mb-matters.com, you'll see all the different ways of, uh, of accessing the program. It might be through um, Spotify, it might be through Google Play, what have you. But make sure to like and subscribe. Yeah, and, and very important, Rob, you reminded me, is like, subscribe, but also download. And that way you're not using up data on your phone if you're out for that afternoon jog or something. You're bang on, and for someone that says you don't know technology, that's exactly what they do. No, but it's it's true. You might as well use your internet at home, download the episode, and then it'll be on your phone. So when you're, you know, you might be out for an afternoon jog, you might be out for a uh, a walk with the dog, and it's there. You don't have to worry about using up uh, data. You've already downloaded it. So thanks very much for, for those who have already signed up with Patreon. And we really do appreciate your support. We definitely do. Mind Body Matters is produced by Reefer Communications. We'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, be kind to yourself. And most importantly, be well. Thanks for listening. And if there's a topic that you'd like to hear about, drop us a line at mb-matters.com. Be sure to like and follow us on all our socials. And if you like what you hear, hit subscribe or follow and share with your friends.